Hello, everybody, and welcome to show. I like show better than podcast. To the secret podcast. And you're not supposed to be listening to this. And remember not to tell anybody because it's a secret. Shh. It's a secret. What's up, guys? It's Tim. I got invited back, surprisingly, but I'm just going to jump right into it because I want to make sure I use all five minutes. This week, I really just kind of want to talk about oil changes and like how uncomfortable they are, specifically the part at the end when the mechanic shows you the dipstick. Is it just what are you supposed to say? And like, what are you supposed to do when they do that? Like they just they're always like they finish up after like 20, 25 minutes and they just come around to like the driver's side door and they just show you the dipstick. And I just like pretend like I look at it, be like, oh, yeah, yep, that's for sure. I definitely see the oil there. Like what what am I supposed to say? You know, like what? Like, thank you, I guess, for showing me because like and before all anyone like who's like an alpha car guy, like I get it. They're showing to me to make sure that the levels are where they're supposed to be. But like. To me, that's like a phlebotomist, like showing you a vial of blood after they take your blood. You know, like they show you to be like, oh, here it is. And it's like, yeah, man, that's cool. But like, that's your one job. Like I was kind of expecting you to do that when I came in here. So like you showing me doesn't really make any sense. Like that was your one responsibility. So like, no, I'm not surprised at the fact that you're showing me and you're like, thank you. Kudos. So, like, that doesn't make any sense. Like, what other job do you just, like, show off your work at the end and just, like, look for gratification? I don't know. I think that's so fucking weird. And even worse than that is, like, when they, they, they come up with it and they'll be like, how does it look? The fuck if I know, Dave, this is your job, not mine. Like, that, like do, what part of the transaction where I gave you $45 for you to do this service where, you, like, I feel like it's an unspoken agreement that you know what you're doing, and I don't. Because if I did, I wouldn't be sitting in line for a half hour to pay you to sit more to show me a dipstick. Like, don't ask me how it is. I don't know, man. Is it good? Is this the level I'm supposed to be at? Like, you tell me you're the professional and not me. Like, don't, like, I didn't study. I'm not ready for a quiz. Like, I didn't know that was coming. And it's just like, I don't know. I feel like it's a weird pressure. Like, I'm supposed to, like, as a dude, like, come up with, like, a cool manly answer. You know what I mean? Where it's like, oh, yeah, for sure, this 40s, 20 oil synthetic for definitely put that in the transmission. But it's like... I don't know. Like, I just think, is it, maybe it is just me. Maybe I'm putting way too thought, too much thought into it. It was just, I like, spoiler alert, I got my oil change this week. That's why it's on my mind. And it's just like that, it's thought of, like, I thought a lot about it. And it's like, it is just odd for like them to show you. I, and I get that as part of their job and they always do that. I just think it's kind of silly. I feel like it's just looking for appreciation or confirmation but it like i said like just to reiterate it's just like yeah man like that's what you're supposed to do like i came here for an oil change why are you showing me the proof like i should just expect that you know like i don't think you really need to like show me and then it's just like yeah and then when they ask for like confirmation of it being good it's it just kind of seems weird because I don't know what the fuck I'm doing, obviously. Like, you know, I, something, I feel like oil changing, I, you can learn pretty simply, but I don't really care about it. 
don't really care about anything about cars, to be honest, like as long as it runs. I don't know. I just think it's really odd. And I feel like either emasculated or confused when they do that. Because, yeah, like I said, I feel like I need to say, like, the right thing. And then, like, once I leave, they're going to, like, whisper about me. Like, look at that motherfucker. He doesn't know anything about oil. Which I feel like is a weird kind of standard for a man. But I, that's also kind of where we're at. So, I don't know. I feel like I try to impress them. And then it doesn't work. And especially, like, now. Like, with, I don't know. They're all, like, anti-mass, too. Which I won't go on that. But that's just a whole different thing. And then so I'm, like, trying to, like, fit in and don't want them to judge me because then it's, like, are they going to upcharge me because they don't think I know what I'm doing? And I don't, so I have to pretend that I do. It's just oil changes suck, and I just wish they just fucking, I just gave them the money. They didn't talk to me, and they just did their job. Honestly, I just kind of wish that's how every facet of society worked, that I just paid them and they didn't talk to me. But, you know, I guess that's not realistic. But anyways, that's my thought for this week. Um, oil changes suck. If you're a mechanic, stop showing people. We don't care. Um, you might, but everyone else doesn't. So stop. Hi, this five-minute episode is just going to be about this episode, or rather, this podcast, and probably some other stuff. So, I just got off the phone with my good friend, Bobby, and we had a great conversation. We catch up, maybe, we like we try to do it, you know, every couple of weeks, but usually it's like every month or so. Um, and this dude is somebody who was one of my absolute most fun friends and good friends in college. And we had some great times together and, uh, we we're just reminiscing about just, you know, life and all that stuff. And we used to get together every single Tuesday and now we live across the country from each other and our life is just crazy that way. But I extended an invite to him to be on the podcast. Um, and I am so stoked to have him on the podcast. Uh, he is by far the most traveled man I know, and I'm really interested just A, how he talks about it, and B, just having more friends on the podcast. As you know, Tim and Chris have made appearances on the podcast, and the interesting thing is at first when I made this, um, like we say in the intro, um, please don't tell anybody about this podcast, but I've been not so good about doing that myself. Um, I've started to uh, tell more people about the podcast um, because I'm having a lot of fun with it. Uh, even though we don't get very many viewers, if like really any at all, um, it's A, therapeutic, but B, it's just kind of fun to do. Um, but I'm excited to have more people on the podcast. Um, it's kind of become this thing where a little bit like going to the gym for me. And it, this is kind of the same with all the creative stuff I do. Once I get to the gym, which I don't go to, it's rather easy for me to enjoy being at the gym, enjoy you know working out, whatever whatever it is I'm doing. Um, 
much like with my creative stuff, it's the same way. I procrastinate for hours watching YouTube videos or fucking off and doing whatever I'm going to do. Um, and then once I start doing my creative stuff, I have a lot of fun and I'm like, oh shit, this is why I'm a bit passionate about this. Um, but yeah, starting, it's always tough. Um, but I don't know where I was going with that. But with the podcast, like I said, I wasn't telling people about it. And now I am because it's just more fun. And this podcast, oh, that's what I'm saying, is a great idea for me to just start doing something. Um, when you hit record, you just have to start talking. And it kind of jump starts that. And it's also a good catalyst for starting my creative stuff. Um, whenever I'm procrastinating, I think, ah, oh, fuck, I'll just do a podcast real quick and then after that you know you feel a little excited about stuff you feel a little uh, optimistic about stuff you think about endlessly what you talked about and how I put random G sounds under a lot of words and I'm viewing myself more and more uh, on camera and through this podcast and it is becoming so evident that I do that and I'm very self-conscious about it but not so self-conscious that I make sure I correct it and change it in post or some shit. But still a little self-conscious about it. Um, I feel like I have a lot of pride in how I talk, which is ironic because I stumble over words. I'm a terrible speller, and uh, I feel like I, I probably just use words I don't know in a lieu of trying to be, <laughs> there it is, uh, trying to be intelligent, which is funny. Um, but I think it all, I'm pretty sure it all subconsciously stems back to uh, when I was a kid, I had to stutter. I had to take classes and do the whole thing. It wasn't super bad, but I would just repeat words uh, a whole bunch. And I think I take too much pride in trying to overcorrect for that. And I'm sure I just kind of sound like an idiot. Um, I mean, you've heard me talk now. What is this? Episode 8, 9, 10, something like that for 25, 30 minutes. So... Yeah, you are probably even better example of, uh, an example, better tell of how bad of a speaker I am. Uh, example uh, 6,000 right there. Three, two, one, and done. Hey, um, so over the past week I've been having extremely vivid dreams, um, which I'm so thankful for because they are so goddamn exciting. And for me, I've, I've explained how I kind of, my, my mood fluctuates, uh, constantly, um, self-diagnosed manic depressed. And I also just encounter bouts of just like pure apathy where, I just don't feel any emotion whatsoever. Um, but thankfully, last night I watched that Futurama episode where Fry's dog uh, waits for him, uh, not knowing that Fry is cryogenically locked in a chamber and will emerge a thousand years later. That episode just always finds a way to get to purge the tears out of me, and it just like revitalized my emotion, um, which is good. 
however, my point, my initial point being, um, sometimes I often wish I could just live in my dream world because it makes me feel purposeful. It gives me, it doesn't make me think about just external bullshit like my 401k or just like a future job and mundane shit like that. Um, and it reminded me of the time in college where I wrote down in numerous notebooks and never really made much of it other than like a few crappy scripts because I was 20 when I was writing them. So they were very angsty and very much just like, oh, you don't understand me. This is, this is my raw emotion. Nobody, nobody gets this. But uh, over time I've kind of changed it and it's still kind of like my, my back burner baby. Uh, so be it. Um, and, and part of this is me just being a little bit jealous because there are shows like Maniac or Dreamcorp LLC where there are shows where it's like, I saw that idea coming 10 years ago, but I didn't have any idea of how to like get my, my sway into Hollywood to, to pitch it. So I'm kind of like that person who was still in Spain while Columbus went and discovered America and was like, well, I knew there was a Western civilization and Columbus wasn't even the first one to discover it. I mean, there was like Inception and there's other movies from the 70s that explored this concept. So uh, me claiming that I'm the first one to come up with this is a fucking lie. Um, however, I'm very intrigued with the idea of... I, I love parallel universes that kind of cherry-pick different historic moments that kind of define that universe. Um, so in mine, it was, I'm very, the whole idea, at least during that time period, I was, I was just blown away understanding, like learning the real history of like World War II, uh, like the real history, like the, there's some ancient texts that nobody else has ever seen before. Um, but just the idea of how, um, just dropping nukes on innocent people. Like, I understand Japan at the time was on par with Nazi Germany in terms of just, like, their love for genocide, but the innocent, the people who just lived there had no idea. They weren't partaking in any of this. So in the story that I'm, I've constructed, it, the day pretty much that timeline deviates from choosing not to drop the nuclear bomb, understanding that it is just complete and utter destruction. So the military-industrial complex actually kind of like fucks off and then invests in dream technology where they can create this collective dream sphere where everybody can kind of go in and Black Mirror has done something like this too. So again, I'm shaking my cane at Hollywood going, fuck, that was my idea. I just wish I wasn't so high and lazy that I got it out there and wrote it. Um, but I think it would be really cool, at least for a minute, um, just being able to like go in almost kind of like a video game and choose like do I just want to dream by myself like single player or do I want to enter this multiplayer realm of the collective dreamscape and with that it possesses like infinite possibilities of just untapped creativity um however just knowing that uh reality is is very ironic and poetic I feel like it would just be corporatized. Uh, there, there would be moments where if you became such an advanced lucid dreamer, there would almost be some kind of like fictional government in there that like requires pay to play in a sense. Like I, I couldn't, if I, if I chose to just lucid dream in my own head and I wanted to construct a, a massive orgy, let's just say, because it's a dream and nobody's going to make fun of me because it's my fucking fantasy. 
<laughs> but I can't do it because I didn't collect enough dreamy points or whatever, so I can't turn them in and I can't construct that. Instead, I have to go on these stupid side quests <laughs> and somehow, somehow, like, I don't get to experience the things I used to enjoy if, if there wasn't this collective. And you know, you know if there's a, <laughs> a collective dream sphere that's like, living parallel to the waking world, you know there's going to be, like, some CIA, KGB, like, blacklist people who just go in there and have the capability to manipulate your memories and just distort the truth of history and stuff, and stuff like that. So, like, obviously, what we have in place now is pretty decent. Obviously, it's not perfect by any means. Um, but, man, like, some sometimes I just wake up from just incredible dreams and not not even like fun ones nightmares where i'm getting chased by uh aunt jemima with a snake for a sword or something like that um they're just exciting because i, I feel that animalistic innate visceral feeling of just fear which is just not i'm glad i don't experience it in real life because the fear of death is terrifying and often traumatic but in a dream state like it's just it's surreal, it's mystical, it just feels like you're encountering just a spiritual encounter with either yourself or just these, like, grand cosmic archetypal gods who exist in all of us, and they just, they provide so much meaning in such little time and such sloppy edits, and <laughs> you're constantly fluctuating between first and third person viewing, and everything's changing you can turn your head and all of a sudden you're in NYC and then you turn back around and you're in a farm in rural China or something it's uh man I, I wish I gotta I gotta really pick and choose or maybe just organize my thoughts better before I just run over this five minute time limit but I just think a collective dreamscape would just be so fucking cool but at the same time just terrible just terrible for everybody like relationships would not exist because you just We'd create a society of voyeuristic assholes who just want to prove that their their girlfriend or boyfriend is cheating on them in a dream, and then it gets into the whole debate whether dreaming is is real, is real life, and such and so forth and stuff like that. And <laughs> these are the kind of things that are kind of inhibiting me from pursuing this. And but but the idea of constructing like a, a futuristic deviation of our timeline, I, I imagine it takes place in like 2050, which is kind of like the precipice, in my opinion, when we're just going to either turn our backs on humanity and just go full on into AI. And that's also around the time period when I think just climate change is just going to absolutely butt fuck us. So um, I don't know, it's a very cherry picked place in time. And just being somebody who's been constantly writing a comedic dramedy fantasy animated pilot show and just like researching all these ancient civilizations and war tactics and cultures it just makes me want to go back and look into like where are we heading in the future like what are mundane <laughs> progressions that we're gonna have like like i read somewhere that potentially we might not even have real zoos anymore which i'm all for because that's messed up we don't need to treat animals like that and instead you'll just have holograms of of animals and zoos and we'll just live that way and there's a chance that we might get advertisements blasted in the sky so you can't even look at the stars without seeing a Pepsi logo um, <laughs> and, and, and at that point it, why wouldn't you want to just live in a dream world where 
so what? Like, everything's just corporatized and that fucking sucks. But, like, the dream world will at least still have that, like, raw, like, just counterculture existence just permeating throughout the entire, like, cultural zeitgeist of, of humanity. And I, that's something that's very cool. Maybe I can make this into a part two and continue about this, but I feel like I need to wrap this up now. So I'm, I'm really sorry. Um, thanks for listening. Things are going to get